Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. Little NBA Outsiders designated hitters mashup right now. We got one of our guys, OG, on the podcast. You hear him talking Yankees quite often. You hear him talking Knicks quite often. That's what he's here to do tonight. Alec Argento, what's up? Tough. Disappointed. A little bit. I mean, not too much. Great fight. We're going to get into it with the Knicks, but it was a little anticlimactic at the ending. Also here to break it down with us, Frank Villani. What's up, brother? Yeah, what's going on, B? How you doing? We doing good out here. And last but not least, we got the guy with the golden voice, as, as our listeners tell us. No pressure to sound like Jesus right now. Kyle Anderson, what's up? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> not <playing> on. <laughs> what's up? What's up? What's going on, man? Yo, what's good? I'm my cousins, I think, said it the best way. Moral victory tonight, but at the same time, it's just good to see our team competitive. That's it. On primetime TV as well. Facts. And I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but every time when I go through the intros now, I see you and the mic is in your shot, and I'll just never forget the text. I was like, bro, my friend Mule texts me. He's like, yeah, what mic does he got? He sounds like Jesus. And I'm like, he got the same mic as everybody else, so it must be him. <laughs> but good stuff. We got Alec. Frank and Kyle exactly, here, dude. <laughs> and we got moral victory tonight. That's a little bit of what it was. It's disappointing because you know some people will argue there's no moral victories in sports. It's something, something that like some tough folk out there like to say, but it's true. When you play at a certain level, you play a certain um, style of basketball or whatever sport you're talking about. There's better ways to lose, right? And tonight's the type of loss for the Knicks where it's like, all right, clearly the Nets are a better team even without Kevin Durant, right? Their, their offensive, you know, pedigree is just so high that you have very little room for error. And when you think about the fact that the Knicks shot just under 40%, I believe, or maybe just at 40% for the game, I forget where it ended up, and the, and the Nets were clearly over 50%. They're at 70% uh, around halftime. So when that happens and you still get a five-point loss, that means your competition level was where it needed to be. You were competing at the highest level. Now, there's there's some specifics we can get into about who, what, when, where, and why the Knicks are doing such a thing. But let's start with the end of the game there because there was some frustration. I know Alec texted me something about the referees, so let's go to you first, Alec. Let's let's go to the end first, and then we can talk about what got them there. Is Is the way they closed out something that scares you with this team, or is that something more of like the a luck-based thing where the fouls didn't go their way because they got screwed in a number of calls despite the one jump ball being flipped in their favor. Uh, I mean, you want a closer, right, at the end of these games. But also, Breen was talking about it, and Burke were talk, was talking about it a ton. They kind of had a closer in their defense, and it's weird to see. I mean, the, the, forced, the forced turnovers, the, the hell balls and whatnot, that was pretty amazing. And, and I mean... They had everything up, and they, it was their game to lose at that point. Well, game to tie, whatever. But, I mean, Thibodeau had, like, a master class when it came to coaching in there. So, 
I don't really like I don't really have a problem with it because we had to fight and claw our way to get back there. But I mean, I don't know. I I, I think that it, it's you know it's it's a tease and whatnot, but. I, I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I, I, I can't figure my, my, my thoughts out just yet. Go to somebody else. Well, I like what you said, though, because about the defense being the closer, that's that's facts. And that's not something that I put in my head into into specific words. But when I was watching the game, I was like, damn, the way they're competing here is next level. It's not something you see night in, night out on uh, in the NBA. And Kyle, you and I and the NBA outsiders in our group chat, we've been having some discourse some back and forth about the college game versus the NBA game. And it's not every day in the NBA game where you see kind of like messy, gritty defensive possessions changing outcomes of games. Like obviously it happens in the NBA. Obviously people in the NBA are trying hard. But when you talk about like mucking it up, making it a little bit ugly, getting gritty with it, that's a college basketball strategy, if you will. And that's kind of the vibe the Knicks had. It's You don't see people get tied up like the way they tied up James Harden and Joe Harris late in that game, uh, wh- where would you land this defense? You know, in defenses that you've seen, just think about, like, in general with this Knicks team, like, what type of pedigree do they really have? Because there's been some talks about the shooting numbers are going to regress and this and that, but is their effort and and strategy that much better where it's going to last? What are you seeing here? I, I think so, and we, we talked about it on a few pods, you know, just obviously not the main episode, but the main thing I think with the Knicks, the best thing about them is that their defense, to, to, to your guys' point, the defense is what's going to keep them in games. And the offense, unfortunately, is not up to par with their defense, but their defense is so good that it's just going to give them a shot. They're going to give them a chance. Like, honestly, like that last possession, their defense literally gave them that opportunity to potentially take a shot at a three at the end of the game. Obviously, it didn't go our way. But the fact that they're able to lock in and Tibbs is able to pretty much lock, tell these guys, like, hey, think about any other team, right? They're down seven with a, about a minute left. Most likely, they're probably all just going to foul and hope, you know, hope they don't miss a, you know, hope they miss a free throw and then we'll play the three-point game. They're like, nah, you know what? We're going to, you know, we're going to stick to the game plan. We're going to get traps and not foul. We're going to get jump balls. Like, how many times have you seen three jump balls, potential three jump balls on defense from an NBA team at the end of a game like that and without fouling, you know? I think it's just credit to, one, obviously Tibbs, right? You know, telling, you know, just having these guys to buy in on the defensive end. But also credit to guys like, uh, you know, to Randall, guys like pretty much that that last five, just never giving up. And that's kind of the – the story of the entire season is that they just compete every night. You know, they might not have the best offensive night, but every night they're going to compete and they're going to give themselves a shot. Yeah. It, uh, I wrote something down on my little notepad here when I was watching the game and it was kind of after Frank fouled out of the game, not Frank Villani. He didn't foul out. Um, he fouled out. He got three fouls late in that fourth quarter. At least two of them were Fugazi. I would say three of them were probably Mm -hmm. Fugazi. One of them, James Harden kind of baited him. It was a little weak, but, you know, we've seen James Harden get that call a hundred times, so it wasn't really shocking. The Kyrie one looked like he kind of tripped, and the DeAndre Jordan, you know, move could have been a moving screen, could have been who knows, so that was tough. But it had me thinking about Frank in particular and then about the Knicks' defense in general, and uh, it made me think about playoff defense. It seems like the Knicks are playing playoff defense the entire year. So 
playoff defense, the, the, right? And the difference is if you if you don't watch the NBA very much, the the ticky tack fouls don't get called in the playoffs, especially late in games, right? There's a little bit more physicality, there's more intensity across the board. It kind of feels like they're playing like that night in night out, which is kind of crazy. Frank, I'll ask you this: Is it sustainable? Is this something that's sustainable for them to do for for seventy two games, whatever we're playing this year? There was a period of time where I thought they were going to fall off a cliff when Mitchell Robinson broke his hand, and honestly, they've stayed afloat without him. I've I've been really impressed with Nerlens Noel. Actually, I kind of wrote him off, um, but he's kind of filled the role pretty well. And to Kyle's point, the team just kind of seems to carry Tibbs's identity. They're just tough and kind of gritty and their voice is always worn from yelling. Like, you know, like they're, they're always out there giving a hundred percent. And uh, I just, I mean, on the defensive end specifically, I want to give guys a shout out. Someone I've been like hard on in the past, I guess. Um, but he does come and he brings every night. He, you know, he might not be the most reliable option on offense, but he, he played pretty well tonight. Uh, Reggie Bullock, um, is actually one of those guys I think who just like is totally bought in, and you know he doesn't he doesn't look like he says much, but he's out there and he's he's long, he's lanky, and he's pretty quick side to side. He gets a tough assignment every night, so uh, I think he did pretty well tonight. All things given, he's a unique player because there's how many guys in the ilk of Reggie Bullock have come through the Knicks in the past five years, right? Like, you know, is so Reggie many. Bullock specifically better than I don't know? Aaron Aflalo, like uh, probably, but like, you know, just like a wing who has transferable talents, who can do some things and and whatever, even like Marcus Morris for, for that example, who is more recent, they got talent. They can shoot Marcus Morris, obviously a better scorer than, than Bullock, but like the intensity that they bring could, can lead you to a different level. Reggie Bullock. So under the radar, you would never even think of it, but he's a true steadier for this team, for this Knicks team. And when he shoots the ball, goddamn. You know, if, he, if he's hitting some th- some three balls, then we're talking. And that's what he did tonight. Actually kept them, you know, semi-alive in the first half there. Um, but so the defense is, is here to stay, is what it sounds like to me. And the Mitch thing is funny because you think about the Nets and you go, ah, they don't have Durant. Like, does it matter? Like, yes, it still matters. This Nets team has been on a tear without Kevin Durant. The Knicks playing without Mitch and Derrick Rose. In this weird universe where... Obviously, they're not more valuable than Kevin Durant, but in the makeups of these teams, they might be more important on a Monday in the middle of the season to the Knicks than Kevin Durant is when you have Harden and Kyrie out there. So now now what do you look forward to when Mitch comes back and Rose comes back? Because Rose's not even hurt. He's just on health and safety protocol. Like, A, I guess, Alec, do you see Derrick Rose from an offensive standpoint tonight doing some of those things that we were missing? late in the game where we just needed to kind of calm it down, get a shot and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, first of all, I, I know it's not what you asked, but Mitch is, Mitch is what we needed in a game like this more yeah. so than, than Rose. I mean, you, you need it as much as Nerlens Noel has stepped up and all credit to him. He's got paper hands. He's not great with the pick and roll. You, you need someone, you need someone like Mitch for a game like this, but with Rose, I mean, I think we kind of all see, why Tibbs wasn't starting quickly for a while. Right. And, and it's, it's not that quickly isn't, good or or it doesn't deserve a spot but rose can get you those that quick offense that you know uh, some some stops and, and keep up with people and facilitate the offense more so yeah i mean i i i think rose coming back would have helped a lot but i i don't really think the problem was it 
point guard, I think I really think it came down to a lot of fouls and, and that like three minute period of Obi Toppin going minus twelve uh, because he just couldn't get a guy. For, he, for he was life, lost so. out there for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Is he has some ugly moments on the court, and we've been talking about it on our on our NBA pods for a minute now, where it looks like he's stuck in the ground, and it's like, bro, get moving, get around, get somewhere. And he's had flashes of of hitting the offensive glass and attacking. But sometimes it could be ugly right now, man. He also airballs yeah. 90% of his three-pointers. So. Yo, Alex, thank you, bro. You're literally about, you literally took the words right out of my mouth, bro. I was literally about to say I was, I, he might lead the league in airballs right now. Like, every, every time it just looks like he's not, either not ready to shoot. Yeah, it, it, but it just seems like the game's almost – it's either – one, it's either it's too fast because I don't want to say he's not ready to shoot because if, if he's not ready to shoot, then he shouldn't be playing. You know, that's unfortunately that's or or he shouldn't be playing in that position, you know, yeah, on the sick. wing like that. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's frustrating because, you know, obviously, like we all do, we're talking throughout the game. And I'm just thinking, like, dude, we had so many opportunities at the end of the game there in that in that last quarter, like that kind of four minute stretch where I was like, dude, if we just had one just legit knockdown shooter, like we had a lot of open threes that were good looks and we just didn't make them. As opposed to, see, you know, just case in point, just because we're playing the Nets. Imagine we have Joe Harris in some of those situations. It's an automatic bucket. You know, it's, it's going to be an automatic yep. three. And all right, bam. Now we don't have to, you know, we go from stopping, you know, playing defense from four to three. You're playing a one possession game now. So I think that that was kind of big. But it's it just goes to show that we're not necessarily, obviously we're not there at all with with their talent. But at the same time, again, it's just just credit to to the coaching staff and obviously the guys on the team because they just just play their ass off every night. So you, that goes you can't back really to, like fault them for it. Me and PD talk about this all the time. I'm sure you guys do too. Uh, but I mean, T- Tibbs is so rigid with his rotations. I mean, you pretend, I'm not saying uh, listen. I'm not saying Kevin Knox is a Joe Harris, but the guy's been pretty lights out from from quarter three this year, right? And, and I'm not. I'm not saying I need him all the time, but like give him more looks when you need that instant offense out there, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you, it's worth it at that point, right? Like you, Alec Burks and Reggie Bullock to me are the same type of player for their three point shot, right? Like they're super inconsistent. Sometimes, sometimes they're hitting it out, sometimes they're not. And I'd rather have the guy who's, I don't know what his numbers are off the top of my head, but the guy's shooting 200% from three at the corner right now this, this season. So <laughs> don't fact check it. <laughs> I mean, I, I love that point, though, because, uh, I mean, it's hard to, to blame injury, like Pete was saying earlier, because Durant's out, and you know, all this, but the Knicks really just needed one more guy to put the ball in the hoop tonight. They they had two guys who started or who played tonight that didn't score. Uh, Frankie Smokes and Nerlens both didn't score once. So just any anybody to get in the rotation and, you know, potentially give us a few buckets would be beneficial, I think. Yeah, and Kevin Knox, just because I actually did fact check it, is 40% from three this season. Only, you know, just three attempts a game. That's because he's only playing, you know, how many minutes a game? Uh, probably 12. Yeah, 14. That. And that's with probably a, a handful of DMPs mixed in. So 14 is an average. It's If you count the DMPs, he's obviously lower than that. So it's it's true, though, and that's something I, I totally agree with. And, and I thought about it the whole night. It specifically shows itself against a team like the Brooklyn Nets, it's a, it's a tough measuring stick, but with an offense so good, every time you don't score, 
you're like, God damn, we just like, that's a four point swing. That's a five point swing. That's a sometimes a six point swing. Cause they're so good at scoring. Like it's, it's, it's weird to say it that simply cause it doesn't really prove anything, but with a team of that level, it highlights the Knicks lack of offensive burst. They have these moments where RJ and Randall start attacking and attacking and it leads to a lot of great things, but there's not true knockdown shooters. Like there's not guys on the Knicks who are taking seven, eight threes a game. And I bet if you went through every single team in the league, I'd say probably 80% of teams, 90% of teams probably have at least one, maybe two guys who are taking six, seven threes a game. And they don't have a volume guy like that. Like quickly is probably their best volume three point shooter right now. And we're talking about a rookie. So that's obviously tough off the jump. Um, but let's talk about their offense in general because we know the defense can keep them keep them around. I I thought, for starters, I just kind of mentioned it, when they attack to try to get layups and see what happens versus when they try to get open shots, it's like a different offense. So when Randall and Barrett are just going at the rim, trying to get to the line, maybe trying to find open shooters after, it's crazy how different this offense can operate. So how do they get more action like that? Like, is it just simply an effort thing? When you see their players maybe settling for jumpers, what do you think the cause of that is? Them trying to be too hot with the league, like too too much with the league trends. Maybe they just can't get there. Maybe it's laziness. Like, what is it that leads to this offense getting stagnant and just taking bad jumpers? I think you you kind of answered your own question before you you even asked it. My bad. I editorialized. <laughs> but no, but I but it's 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 just goes to you know further your point like they don't have a true knockdown shooter they don't have like anybody who's a feared three-point shooter um and and it hurts specifically guys who like to go to the bucket you know because the defense can shrink and guard the paint because there's not too much to worry about you know they do have the benefit of you know randall being able to step out there and give them a little size out there too but even then it doesn't help when, you know, his best thing is still also going to the bucket. So they're, they're definitely just lacking a high quality D and three guy. We have a, we have a serviceable one, but we, if we really want to take that next step, we're going to need, I think it's the role players next that need to take a step up Honestly, like guys like Alec Burks, Taj Gibson. um, Yeah. Taj looks irrelevant out there sometimes. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And then like the nice one, Alec Burks does play well, the Knicks look really, really good, you know? So it's like, if you just get guys in those positions who can be more consistent for them, I mean, they'll be in a really good place. Yeah. But to, to I, I, I agree that this is an issue in general, but tonight, I mean, going to the basket against DeAndre, business being on the floor tonight it worked out well for them rj was driving to the hoop he, i mean he he had 10 free throws and he hit all 10 of them i mean yeah you need to r- run the offense through rj a little bit more than they do and like i, I understand you want to get, I, I think that they probably wanted to get his confidence a little bit up get his efficiency up giving him the right shots and everything but the guy's a bully for his size and, and the position he plays he should be driving to the hoop as much as possible and i mean 
he's been knocking down that 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 that, that stop and pop and uh, that little mid range too. And and there's two. I know they seem really small, but there's two things that happened in this game that I think would have completely changed the dynamic of of of, of the, the last couple of minutes. Outside of the missed three pointers and everything like that, quickly missing two free throws, which is out of character for him. Mm. That's, you know, in, in, in a three-point game, say that's trimmed down to one, you never know what's going to happen. Or as Michael K says, the fallacy of the predetermined outcome or whatever it is. And then RJ missing that shot that he's been making this year on that that, that stop and pop. I the mean, elbow, that, yeah. that's, yeah, I mean, those two things were out of character for the team. And, and I don't know, I, I think that if you if you exercise that, that, that three-minute stretch where they just went on that like 15 to two tear or something like that. The offense operated fine tonight. Uh, I really have no gripes with it. Yeah. And I, and I think you make a good point because, you know, we're talking about how, you know what you, and this is, this is what happens though, because you have, you have to nitpick, right? Yep. When you're playing the nets, you have to mm-hmm. nitpick now. Now we have to, all right. Our problems, you know, oh, we don't have a three-point shooter, but you know what? We can beat the shit out of the Pistons. Oh, you know what? We can we could probably beat the Pacers or whatever. Now you play the Nets, your problems now, you know, get blown up in your face. It's a luxury so to now you have you know, yeah, right. So now like this is a problem that we have. Like if we want to get to the next level, this is what we have to do to fix it. And I don't know if they're gonna do it by the trade deadline or whatever the case is gonna be, but if you know, I, and I think you're right because if if RJ Barrett, if they start to give him the keys a little bit more of the offense, because a lot of the time, right, you see that they, you know, pretty much run some smoke and mirrors motion and then just clear out and give Randall the ball, you know, on one of the wings. And, you know, guys are ready to catch and shoot. If they could do that with RJ a little bit more or not, maybe not necessarily that kind of action, but if they just gave him the ball a little bit more and kind of let him spin, I think it would make Randall's job a lot easier because now it's not, no, dude, if I don't get 25 tonight, it's a problem. You know what I mean? Which is how it's been, right? The numbers for the Knicks when yeah. Randall has a low point outputs is, is not been good. I forget what the record is when he scores under like 18 points, 15 points, whatever it was. But it wasn't good. His offensive output is imperative to this team's success. And uh, Kyle, it's a great point because we're sitting here complaining. It sounds like we're complaining about portions of the Knicks, but it's really a point now where we see a floor that's legitimate. That's a place where you want to be. How do you raise that floor? How do you raise the ceiling, et cetera? So that's a good thing of itself. The fact that we're on this podcast at March 15th, March 16th, and they're 20 and 20, and they're in the playoff team, and we're comparing them to a you know hard-fought, you know, gritty loss to the Brooklyn Nets who are a top seed, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the NBA is a testament to what the Knicks have done this year. And I was texting Alec uh, during the game. I was like, damn, man, first half, I was like, it feels like we're going to get run out of the gym in the second half. And again and again, they compete and they fight and they're making games interesting way more than they should be. James Harden had 11 assists in the first half. And then in the end of the second quarter, he was like, damn, I've been passing a lot. Let me get a couple step backs. He missed three step backs in a row, and the lead went from like 14 to like whatever it was, like 11. And it, that little bit, you know, gave us a little bit of hope. Like, all right, we're right here. Let's get these stops. And they went, thir- the, the Nets went 35 points in the first quarter, 32 in the second, 29 in the third, only 21 in the fourth quarter. And I'm sitting up here singing the Nets' praises. Meanwhile, the Knicks consistently got better at slowing them down and making life harder on Harden. 
harder on Kyrie. Jeff Green went from Wilt Chamberlain to Jeff Green in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, so, <laughs> so like, it was a successful <laughs> game and approach, and the adjustments were made. So let's not think about the Nets right now, um, the Knicks in the Nets context right now. Let's put them in the Eastern Conference context here for a second before we, you know, start to wrap up. Tonight's going to be a, a shorter one. Where where is the the tier that the Knicks are in? I think it's pretty easy to say. Nets, Sixers, Bucks, and now Heat, who have won nine of ten with Jimmy Butler back, and they're on the rise. They're above. Then there's the Celtics. There's the uh, I guess the pace the Pacers, the Knicks, the Raptors, the Hornets, the Bulls. Those are probably at some point going to split into two tiers. Where do the Knicks land, Frank? I mean, this is probably biased, but I like the Knicks more than literally all of those teams that you really? said. Yeah. Just because of their ability to to play defense. Like, we've, I mean, we've been saying it the whole podcast. That's what's going to keep them in it in the long run. It's kind of their identity, which I feel like Knicks fans have been, you know, begging for a real team identity for a long time. So... Yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't even know. Maybe the Pacers with Levert, he just came back. Um, but Toronto, I don't know. I'm I'm sleeping on Toronto. Who else did you say? Hornets, Hawks. Yeah, Hornets, Hawks, Bulls, I guess, really. Unless I'm forgetting Hawks, somebody. Hawks, I don't think Bulls, I am. Bulls, like, no doubt in my mind the Knicks are better. The Hornets, the Hornets, I don't know. The Hornets, I would actually, I would put a question mark on for sure. <laughs> But the rest of those teams, I'm pretty confident in the Knicks over them. I think the biggest thing with the Knicks is that they've also shown the ability to course correct, right? They've never had like a, like a six-game losing streak or anything like that. Anytime they go two, three games under 500, they claw back their way to a 500 mark, right? And that's important. I mean, it, it, I, I, I don't know. It's all about resilience, right? And, and they're not the most talented out there. But if you're, if you're going to – if your whole identity is based on resiliency and you don't let that stuff get – to a real like low point, I think that's huge. So you can separate yourself from the pack because I could see the Hawks going on a bad uh, a bad spree and just everyone on that lot in that locker room wanting to kill each other and then it just spirals down further and further. That literally happened, yeah. right? Like yeah, that happened. Like the, that was kind of yeah. what the beginning of the yeah. season was like for them. And now they're on a yeah. good up an uptick because the new coach, everyone's on their best behavior. They won seven out of ten and. You know, maybe they're on an uptick, but that doesn't mean that John Collins is not going to yell at Trey Young again before the season's over. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I can definitely see that, you know, the honeymoon phase, like, fizzling out real quick with the with the Hawks. You know, it happens all the time. You know, they, they any any team gets rid of a coach that they can't stand, and then, you know, yo, man, it's all good, bro. We got this new coach, man. Everything's all good. And then, all right, 10 games have passed, like – Yo, man, I still can't stand your ass, man. Fuck you. Like, you know what I mean? like, and then it's right back to school, right back to day one. You know what I mean? Like, so I think the fact that obviously, like, the Knicks have seems like they have good chemistry. Um, and I agree with you, Frank. I think it's the Knicks and the Hornets out of that group are like kind of the top out of that, like, I guess, let's say middle of the pack group, just because the Hornets are like just trending super, super upward right now. Like, they are legit. Oh, wait, wait, are, yeah, you, are you guys leaving the Celtics out that, here? Sorry, go for it. Go, go for it. I, I, I mean, I right now in a seven-game series, Knicks versus Celtics. I'm, I would bet the Knicks. Mm, like, confidently. I like that. I like that.
That's a I mean, the, hot take. Well, Marcus Smart for the you made the Levert point for the Pacers. I'll say the Marcus Smart point for the Celtics matters. He's been out for a minute and he just came back. So you know we'll see. But I'm for, I'm with you. That's a but that's a battle I, right there. I, I'll quantify it like this: uh, the Celtics are really weak at the four and the five, and Julius Randle's our best player. So I mean I know they probably try to guard him with like Jalen Brown, probably. But I like our odds. Yeah, I, I take Julius Randle in that matchup still. So that's interesting. And you know what? I think with just the offensive scoring power of Tatum Brown and now Smart being the facilitator they needed, from a regular season perspective, my money is squarely on the Celtics to end up with a better record. It's hard to consistently win, like put together a winning streak with these gritty, gritty games the Knicks are finding themselves in. So with the Celtics' offensive output being a little bit higher than what the Knicks can do, I can see a regular season record being better. But in the playoffs, you start talking matchups, and back to our point we were talking about earlier with the Knicks playing playoff-style defense all year, you know, I can see Tatum and Brown having R.J. Barrett and Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks, Frank Nilakina in their shorts being like, God damn, I can't get an easy shot for anything right now. Like, what's going on? Like, oh, yeah, Celtics, maybe you should try moving the ball a little bit. Different point. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm with you guys. I do want to talk about the Hornets for a hot second because from a national perspective, the Knicks have been getting some nice love. Some nice love. For real. Like, the Knicks always get talked about for good or for for bad, for, for better, for worse, whatever you want to say. This year, the Knicks are getting respect, nice love. People clearly respect Tibbs, former players and coaches on in the media. Like, yo, Tibbs is doing it out there. Worldwide West. You know, everybody is liking what the Knicks are doing. But now people are falling in love with LaMelo Ball and what the Hornets are doing over there. like, And they're opposite of the Knicks. It's all about offense. They got shooters. They got closers. They got like three closers. LaMelo, four maybe. Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, and Gordon Hayward. Like four closers. The Knicks got one and a half. So those two style matchups there, what, do you, what would you see maybe a Knicks-Hornets series not that they would ever see each other in the playoffs because they'd probably be too close if they were there but maybe in like a play-in tournament how do those two teams match up in your opinion Kyle that would be a great matchup dude because you, like you said it's probably the best defense in the league against probably one of the best offenses in the league and it's one of those those matchups where you're, where you're thinking like all right LaMelo who's gonna you know who's gonna guard LaMelo all right well who's gonna guard Randall all right, well, who's going to guard Gordon Hayward? And you just go like, it's it's going to go, it's going to be down to the wire. I think that's a seven-game series, no doubt. I think it's automatic seven-game series. And I would 100%, if they do play each other in a playing game, I would 100% be signed up for all that. But unfortunately, like you said, with offense and the four closers, it would be tough for the Knicks to win that. Like, it, it, just just off of those last possessions that we were just talking about with the Nets, it's we don't have that as many options. Do they play as well as defense as we do? No, but they have, they, they're not relying on one guy or one and a half guys like we do where we have to, you know, close a game in a big, big moment, you know, in the playoffs. And unfortunately with, I mean, both of us kind of have inexperience, but I guess for them, you know, Gordon Hayward has been, has been in this position before. Terry Rozier has been in this position before. Randall and RJ Barrett, unfortunately haven't. And I'm not saying that they can't get it done, but it's just it's just new experience. So mm. I think I would kind of lean towards the Hornets in a sense. Mm. Um, but it, I mean, 
I think it would be like down to the wire, and I wouldn't be. I was. I wouldn't be shocked if the Knicks won it though either. So that's interesting. And throw, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I want to throw something out there though. I mean, like every the Knicks' offense has been much maligned all season. Outside of that Bucks game recently, I mean, they they put up tonight. They put up a hundred and uh, hundred and seventeen, one hundred nineteen. The game before that, hundred one, hundred fourteen, hundred nineteen. Uh, they had 140 game against the Kings. Their offense is getting better. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's as bad as it was in the early season. And and they are key players too. I mean, Derek Rose yeah. being on the team is going to really impact things. Mitch is like Nerlens has been a good backup stepping into a situation, but mm. Mitch is is a significantly better player on the floor. And there's no like ifs ands or buts about that. So. I don't know. I think their offense is coming together. I think it's just come. It's about gelling. It's about the chemistry. And this is a team that's new, right? And young players coming into themselves, and they're going to get better as the season goes on. They've got to think that if they maintain the core of what's here, that offense, if they maintain the same players, even if they don't add a good player in the, in the offseason, which I think we all kind of expect that they're going to be pretty aggressive, but just the people that they've had play together, they're going to get better together the next season because of the chemistry that they've developed over over the years. So I don't think their their offense is as bad as, as people act like it was because of the first, you know, couple of months of the season. It's like when people talk about how RJ, had, you know, is, is like finally at league average. Like, yeah, well, if you take out that 21 straight three-point misses, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the guy's been shooting right. 50% for the past two months. So it's exactly. all about context with the Knicks. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And on the Mitch front, it's not just getting Mitch back. It's also getting Nerlens back in the second unit, which makes the second unit better. Out. And that's just a, a trickle-down effect of, of uh, positive plus-minus there. That's a great point. I want to start wrapping up. Um, so let's just say this. We'll do like one, one quick sentence, one quick take, whatever you want to get in here. You don't have to go specific names. You don't have to go specific teams as trade partners, but the trade deadline is approaching. If the Knicks were to make moves... What or what do you want those the nature of those moves to be? If you have a certain player in mind, obviously shout it out. But do you want them to buy and try and get better for this season? Do you want them to stand pat? Do you want them to get more picks? Where do they land in the trade deadline tier of destiny? As well, I just coined it now. Um, just nothing bold. Don't do anything crazy. I kind of think we finally have a good core in place. Like. You know, don't give up too much for for anything. That's kind of where I stand. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate maybe swapping a piece or two. I think I kind of mentioned it before. If we can get, you know, a slight upgrade of a you know three and D type of guy to put alongside of Barrett and and our um and Julius, who've obviously been carrying the offense for the past month and a half, um, that that could be very helpful. I think it's funny though because the the players on the Knicks that we're trying to upgrade on those spots are the players that we would like. There's nobody out there that's better than an Alec Burks or, or right. Reggie Bullock. Those are the types of players that other teams are looking for, right? To add to their team to solidify it. So, you're the best you're going to do on the open market is is a, an even swap. You know, if you if you trade yeah. out a, a Reggie Bullock, you're going to get a Reggie Bullock. There's nobody out there. Or you might get like a slightly somebody. younger Reggie Bullock who hasn't done it yet type thing. You know it, what I mean? Exactly. Like, it, it, it's not really where I, I mean. I think that the Knicks they they made a good trade in, in Derrick Rose, right? And, and that was their deadline deal. It happened a month early, but I think that that was the right move. But outside of there, I just don't see anybody 
you know, you have so many assets that you stockpile. Why waste it on an opportunity to get marginally better on someone who's a borderline role player or, you know, I, I just don't see the point. So wait till the off season. You can stop, use those stockpiled assets, move up in the draft, trade for Zach Levine or, or, or whatever Ooh. it is. Uh, Ooh. Well, you know, I, I think that there's something to be done at the end of the season instead of right now. Free my boy Austin Rivers, man. Free him. Send him out. Just, just let him go, man. Yeah. You know, let him. Yeah, man. Trade his <laughs> ass, dude. I mean, he's just sitting on a bench, dude. Like, he he can contribute to another team that you know can make a playoff push, and we just have him sitting on a bench. Like it, it's, you know, you you think about what kind of player he is, and think about he's not wasting away because he's still fairly young, but at the same time, it's like, dude, like. He should be playing basketball. You know, he's still a good player. Like he's not trash. You know, it, by any means, he should he should definitely get an opportunity somewhere. So I would definitely just say, like, dude, trade him, get some picks, and you know, we can set up for the draft. Yeah, it's gonna be weird to see who's available and who's not. But if you can package Alfred Payton and Austin Rivers for Ugh, just yeah, like yeah, anybody who's Christ. you know. Not even yeah, as good still as have five. They traded a point guard and they still have five of them. Right. And like, you know, Austin yeah. probably would have got some burn since Peyton went hurt, uh, went down, but he had a baby. Right. So he's not been with the team. That's tough. It's a good point though. Probably some slight moves, maybe a second round pick for Austin rivers or a little second round yes. pick. And, uh, we'll take a, a, a salary that we can afford that other teams don't want to maybe for Alfred Peyton and a pick or whatever. So there's things to be done. I think I'm with all you guys. I think you guys are spot on. Leon Rose has been showing this as well. Calm, patient, nothing too crazy. Let's make small strategic wins if we can. If not, we're not going to risk anything. And I think everybody, without saying it, just said to Pat Boyle, friend of the show, co-host of the show, we don't need LaMarcus Aldridge in New York. I don't know why that was even a thing. That was crazy. Pat, I'm sorry. Hell no. Pat Boyle, I'm sorry to say that about you when you're not here to defend yourself, but I think I'm going on Boyle and Chen show this week, so we'll talk about it there. Check out our buddy's show, uh, Boyle and Chen show. All right, that's all we got tonight, though, for... The New York Knicks, keeping it short. I know 40 minutes is, is short for us, right? Keeping it tight. A tight 40 for the Subway Swords Talk boys here. Uh, but we will end up how we end up all episodes with last words. And we got a lot of things coming up in the world of sports, not just basketball. So, as always, last words open to anything you want. It doesn't even have to be sports related if you don't want it to be. Who wants to go first? I don't want to put anyone on the spot. Who wants it? Who wants mm-hmm. it? Last words. If nobody's ready, I'll go. Go ahead, Frank. All right, since we have a member of the designated hitters pod here, I'm going to go baseball. I'm going to keep it local, too. I'm going Mets, obviously. Uh, It's only spring training, but two of the Mets' top prospects have been up and playing with the the big boys, Ronnie Mauricio and Brett Beatty. And first look, very impressed. Uh, Ronnie's got some size, and he's got a pretty smooth swing. And Beatty reminds me of McNeil. So... Uh, pretty bright future for the Mets. Also, Matthew Allen. That dude looked good. So, And for the people uh, who may be listening who don't know who those guys are, what positions do they play? <laughs> uh, shortstop, third base, uh, Ronnie Mauricio and Beatty, and then uh, Matthew Allen is a pitcher. Nice. Good. I'll, I'll keep but, an eye because I have no idea who those guys are, and I'm a Mets pipe, fan. The so. pipeline is not as empty as people say. That's there we all go. Say for, yeah, the Mets actually have a decent – Decent top of the farm system, at least. I like it. Alec, what do you yeah, got for us? T- 
same side of the token, baby. This is the first time in recent memory that I can be excited for Yankees opening day while still being excited about the Knicks. So this is wow. this is cool times, man. New York sports is back. Oh. Giants are on the uptick too. Don't forget. What do we got up. from Kyle? You're yes, gonna make sir. the trifecta here? New York sport, what do you got? Listen, I'm not gonna talk about the Giants because everyone knows I'm a Giants fan. But what I want to know is what the hell are the Jets going to do? Oh, what are the Jets going to do at number two? Are they going to are they going to trade down, or are they going to you know draft a quarterback and trade Darnold? That's what I I I mean. That's all you hear on the radio, right? They talk about it literally every second of every radio show. Yep. Personally, I think you get a new head coach, right? You trade away the quarterback and you get a new quarterback. You have to start fresh. I, I don't I don't really I'm not a big like, uh, you know, like, what's the best way to put it? Got to see what he can do with a new I regime. I don't want sloppy seconds. Oh. Right. I don't want sloppy seconds, right? I'm the new head coach. I want to bring in my guy. And, I'm, and I know, and this isn't like disrespect to Sam Darnold's character at all, but just like as a, you know, as a new head coach, like you want to bring in someone that's your guy, someone that you, you know, you recruited or you scouted. And you want to say like, Hey, look, this is my guy. This is the new attitude of the program. This is, you know, we're going to be changing the culture around here and he's a culture guy. So I think that's, I think that's going to be the move. I think they're going to trade Darnold and they're going to get Zach Wilson or, or, you know, whatever quarterback they decide. Um, Because it's me personally, just like thinking as a coach, like I don't want to come in and be putting, you know, putting away fires everywhere throughout the locker room. Like, yo, why is Darnold still playing, bro? He's Mm. not the guy or, Let's put in this guy. Like, nah, dude, he's not even going to be around. We're going to focus on this new quarterback, and we're going to start fresh, and we're going to go from there. You know, you have all these picks in the draft. Use them, and you can build up your draft, you know, build up your organization through the draft this year and literally start fresh. And this is – I think that's, like, the perfect hire for them is, uh, you know, solid. I think is the best hire for their their situation, Mm. you know, to change the culture. I like that. I, I don't know if I particularly agree on the quarterback front, and I, it's I'm not going to have that answer until I really start watching as much YouTube as I could on Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and right. even Trey Lance for that matter. Because if yep. if the Jets all of a sudden say, "Yo, this Trey Lance guy is really good," and they have yep. an opportunity to trade down and get some more picks in the first round and get Trey Lance, there, there's a lot of options for the New York Jets, and it's the talk of the town right now. Sneaking under the radar, the New York Giants don't know if they're going to do much of anything this offseason right now. It's looking a little Kenny bleak. Kenny Galladay, baby. I Kenny would, Galladay. Listen, I love Kenny Galladay. That guy is an absolute stud. Absolute stud. You need Galladay, Alex. Take Galladay. Your, your, your draft board becomes a lot easier. Because then you just hammer out O line and oh, yeah. rush pass rushers, and then we're out you here. You get a line, you get a linebacker to pair with linebacker. You get, a, Thank you. you get an edge rusher, um, and then there's uh, really not much else you need. You can just fill best position after that. Um, yep. You get that plus you get Saquon back in the off season. That's that's a that's a competitive team and in a garbage division. Uh, I think that you can come out on top of that one pretty easily. Wow, that's exciting stuff. I'm with you, brother. We have the NFL draft coming up real soon. March Madness. Oh my God, we have March Madness starts this week too. Oh my God. All right, we don't have time to even get into that remotely. We're gonna say goodbye, Kyle. Just give me, 
Just give me one one word on the NCAA tournament. One player to watch, one team to watch, a pick. What do you got? Ooh, one player to watch. Well, obviously, Kay Cunningham. Watch him. Uh, one big pick. Sorry, at the top of my head. Yeah, I'm putting uh, you on Oregon the spot. State's going to make a run. Okay. Book it. Oregon State's going to make a run. Texas is going to make a run. Uh, and LSU is going to make a run. Oh. And Bama. Oh. I got so about... a few teams. I got a few teams. Wow. Was cheese. <laughs> How about Duke, though? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, real quick. I know we're about to finish up. Duke, Duke, Duke was. I got a pee, guys. <laughs> I know they. I know they had. They had a bad season, right? Terrible season. Um, they shouldn't have made the tournament at all. I agree, they shouldn't have made the tournament. It was embarrassing as a fan that they took themselves out of the tournament con- uh, contention and then put themselves back in. Like, dude, if you're out, you're out. Like, don't say, oh, well, if, if you pick a classic coach, we'll, K. I was like, yep. dude, like, just, just, just admit it, man. We had a terrible season. Just, just, you know, get ready for next year. Like, we're going to get a bunch of recruits for next year. Paul Boncero and all these guys, like, dude, just, just pack it in. And we just couldn't yeah. do that. We Cut your losses. The right way. Cut your losses. So embarrassing. Yeah. Damn. Oh, well, done. some, I, I some of the, day, so we should all <laughs> wrap it up. Some of the greatest, some of the greatest afternoons in sports are coming up soon when the tournament starts. Those days when you got every game on for the first four days of the tournament, every hour of the day is taken up with high energy college basketball. Only thing that matches it, honestly, in my opinion, it only happens every four years. It's the World Cup. The World Cup with all those games on, even if you don't like soccer, it could be really exciting. And uh, the World Cup has that energy where it's game after game after game after game and then NCAA tournament. That's it. That's the only time you get nonstop sports action at the highest level. That means the most. It's very exciting. We got more coming up later in the week. We're going to do a baseball episode. That's the plan, at least right now, with Andrew and Alec. Maybe, Frank, maybe you make your uh, your baseball episode debut if you Come got some in, time man. for us. We've been waiting for you over here. Yeah. Wait, what day? I didn't. I was. Uh, actually, no. We're probably doing it Thursday. You're out. See you later. Never mind. Yeah, Thursday, no good for me. But I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I've been doing my my baseball homework for a while now. I watch. I've I've actually been watching probably more baseball and basketball in the past year. So hey, you know. That's a psycho move, and that's coming from me. <laughs> I, dude, I, I can't stop. Honestly, there's a couple of there's a couple of West Coast broadcasts that are really good and. Oh, so you're not even watching the Mets spring training. You're watching, like, the eighth inning of a spring training game for, like, the Diamondbacks, right? That's weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> the Diamondbacks, the Padres. We were just talking uh, about our boy, uh, Frank. Shout out to Shea Spitzbarth, pitching for the Pirates yep. right now. He got yep. moved from the Dodgers this offseason uh, in the minors, working his way up. And all right, he, let's wrap yeah, this up. He's out there. No, <laughs> shout out. Shout out. He's a friend. We were talking about earlier. <laughs> Anyways, that's all we got for today. Subway Sports Talk. Alec Argento. Frank Villani, Kyle Anderson, I'm Pete Kennedy. That's all we got. Have a great day. Enjoy your sports this week. Cheers. Good pod, fellas. Nice. That was dope. You're... I knew he was waiting for it. I was waiting for it, Frank. (laughs)